Well, it's very Stand okay. Well, hi, I'm Jeff. This is my beautiful bride, Dee, my grandsons, Jaden and Jacob. And Juliet's not here today. Today, I we're doing the Advent, and it's about joy. The first week was hope. Oh, the first week was hope. Second week, I wasn't here, was so that peace. was that, that, that was peace. <clears throat> and today will be joy. Uh, and I'm reading out of uh, John 15, 9 through 11. Uh, I had loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father and remain in his love, I have told you this so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So I do this um, obnoxious amount of Christmas decorating at my house, and I realized that uh, all these decorations that say joy, and every time I hang one up, I'm like, oh, it says joy, and there's joy on the carpet, and joy on the shower curtain, and joy hanging here, and then the Christmas stars start coming, and they all say joy, and I was thinking that it shouldn't just be now, and so um, I think I might have to read, too, because I don't want to say anything silly. Um, our true joy comes from relationship with God the Father. Sometimes we get joy out of things. Last week I was watching these two. I'm like, I can't believe how much joy they bring me. Um, but the joy <laughs> should come from within. True divine joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and it comes from relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not just this season, but it was on the day that he went to the cross that we, the thought of us, that was to bring him joy. So that we could have joy, be full of joy, his joy, forever. is above every name. From Luke chapter 2, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for all the people. Run to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Lord, we thank you for coming to this place, for leaving the, the riches, the glory, um, the peace of heaven, and coming to this place that really had no peace. And even subjecting yourself to having the, the, yourself uh, 
born up in the hands of men and delivered to be crucified. And because of that, your name is above all things. So take your word this morning, Lord, living and abiding and work it into our hearts. Uh, may your name, the name above every name, be the only name this morning. And may it be raised up in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you find your seat again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2. So over this Advent, uh, these weeks, we've been looking at various songs um, in the uh, Nativity stories. Some of them are, are, are said that they're just, they speak them, but they're all written as songs. They're kind of laid out that way, and we have one this morning. So the first week, we looked at Mary's song, which was um, God revealed himself to her, what, who he was and what he was going to do and how he was going to do it, and she responded with a song. Last week, we saw Zechariah's song after God had revealed himself to him as well and what he was going to do. And then after holding it in for nine months and God released him and he breaks out in song. And then this week, we're looking at a song of the, the, the shepherds and the song of the angels today, which is this brief little two-line song. We've talked about this before, but worship is always initiated by God. Um, he, he reveals something of himself, his character, his ways, and the Holy Spirit within us causes us and helps us to respond. And that's what we get here again. It's this, uh, there's a revelation of good news, and then there is a response of the angels, and their response is in song. And then there's actually a response in activity with the shepherds as well. There's something about um, music um, that's unique. Um, it's it's like no other kind of communication that there is. Um, it uniquely expresses, I think, what cannot be expressed any other way. I don't know if you've ever heard a song and you thought, "Gosh, that's it!" Just is it, it's saying exactly what I feel and sense, and I can never put that to words. But it does it. Val was saying last night that um, music touches more parts of our brain than any other kind of communication. It enters itself into these different places, which is why when you hear something and you don't want to remember it, it sticks in your head forever. Um, but also those things that really impact you on those that deep, deep inner way stay with you. So I'll hear a, like a hymn, and I won't have heard it for two or three decades, but it'll take me back to when I was 10 years old and when I first heard it, and it touched something in me, and I have an immediate response to it. Music stays with us. Um, uh, my, my oldest daughter, I took her everywhere when she was real little, and I played music from the 70s all the time, and um, they stay with her, you know, they stuck with her, it's awesome. Um, you can have noise all around, and all of a sudden, once a few people start singing, it just grabs your attention, and people join in. Or like our text today, there can be absolute silence and suddenly, when music breaks in, it just speaks in a way that nothing else does. In our story, during a time of waiting, when, as I said last week, there had not been a, a fresh word from God for hundreds of years, 
when all was not well in the world, it was difficult and painful, a song breaks in in it all. It just breaks in. And the result is worship and joy and the hope of peace. So like last week, I'm just going to walk through this story piece by piece, uh, make some comments about the sections. It's, these are familiar stories, um, and, but hopefully they'll, they'll find a fresh place in our hearts. And then just a little chance at the end here to kind of call forth what this story actually might bring to our hearts. This actually begins in chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, In the, those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This story starts with the, the one who um, is the most powerful person in the whole world. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. It says, a decree goes out for the whole world to be registered because the Roman world was thought to be the whole world. We know that there were other places besides that, but he apparently thought that he could tell the entire world to do what they wanted to do because everybody listened to him. And this powerful, mighty man who, who commanded attention, when he called for the census, everybody starts moving. He shifts all the populations around. We saw that last week as this, um, this, this story started. It was in the days of Herod the Great, Herod the King. And so you think about Herod, but the story was not about the great and the mighty. The story was about um, Zechariah and his wife, two people who nobody knew. Um, and that's where the story found its place. And in this story as well, we, we begin with Caesar Augustus, and we think that's where God moves, and that's where he works, that's where he begins. But he doesn't. That story is actually have, takes place on a hill with some outcasts who nobody knows, and it has nothing to do with Caesar Augustus. And I love that God works, as we say over and over again, in this upside-down kingdom, and that he works through the, the, those who are unexpected, and he works through us. Verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Um, these are not um, the great and the mighty, nor are they the center of the social order. Um, these are just workers in the field. And it's not like this pretty field, you know, like we think we see the pictures. It's, they're just out with sheep in the dirt and in the dust and watching them through the night, guarding them from thieves and trouble. And there's danger all around, and they're out there working. Shepherds, um, interesting enough, the scriptures, and David was a shepherd. Psalm 23 is about God being our shepherd. And yet in the time of the, that this story takes place, shepherds were not honored people. Um, it's interesting that the scripture could have so much about them, and they didn't get it. They still considered them at the bottom of the social order. They, they kind of lined up with the tax collectors. That's the kind of the group they were part of. They were considered unclean because they were out with these sheep in the fields, and because they were out for so long, sometimes they didn't have a chance to go to the temple to even go through those cleansing things, so they were kind of on the outside unclean all the time. So people kind of kept their distance. Perhaps it's interesting that they might have been actually caring for some of the sheep that would eventually be used as sacrifices to bring some um, forgiveness for their sins. And here they are, they don't get any of that. They're just watching the sheep. Sheep which, oh, we know that in the end they don't save or cleanse, do they? Shepherds couldn't testify in court because they were considered unreliable. Um, and yet, interesting, God chooses to testify to his arrival through them. And the people here actually believe their report. They were the 
outcasts, the least and the lost, the, the invisible and the forgotten. All of us, at some point in time, know what that feels like. We all do. And in our sin, without the work of Christ in us, we are outside of God's work until he brings us in and does a work in us. Interesting, in Mary's song, she says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he lifts up the humble. And here he does it right here. He's going to take these shepherds, and he's going to do something amazing with them. Like the shepherds, that is not that all of us who are without Jesus, we are like them. Are we not all equally poor and needy in God's economy? Blessed are the poor in spirit, which is what we're supposed to be. And perhaps coming to the shepherds is a reminder that acceptance from God has nothing to do with who we are, has nothing to do with what we do, has everything to do with the grace and mercy of God to people that have come to him empty-handed with nothing to offer. And interesting enough, if we can't give anything to get what God gives to us, we can't fail either because we're just his all the time. Verse 9, angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, as they always do, fear not. Um, it, it, it tells us like it happens all the time, but it doesn't. Um, I have one experience I think had to do with angels, and I'll, I can tell you about that another time, but... Um, when angels show up, there's always fear. And then there's always the words, don't be afraid. It's like, you should know better, but they don't. They're always afraid. Everybody's afraid. Um, the word for angel means messenger. And they come either with news or they come to do battle, we see in the scriptures. They do both. And the question is, so why fear? Why, why? And the fear here is not like I'm startled, um, I, I, get, I get scared easily when people startle me. So when people hide behind the door and do that kind of stuff, I, I, I first get really angry, actually. It's like I get this look at my face, I'm mad, and then I'm start, I get startled. This is not being startled. They were probably startled by the angel, but it says they were afraid. There, were, there was dread that came on them. So why is that? And I'd like to just offer two possible reasons. One, I think it has to do with the glory, it says, that's shown around. It says the glory of the Lord shown around them. Around who? Around the shepherds. The, the angels, as they have, this angels appeared, somehow the glory of God came with them, with him, and it was around them. It was in their midst. They experienced it. Um, it shone about them. Perhaps the angels had been in the presence of God like Moses had somehow carried it with him, but it wasn't just this after thing. It says the glory of God was among them. In the Old Testament, what happened when you, when you were in the midst of the glory of God, it was a scary place to be. God's glory came down in the cloud we see in the scriptures on the, the, the temple, and the people had to stay back from it because there was, God was amidst them. They could feel it. Um, the stories on the mountain, when God's, the cloud comes down on the mountain to Moses, and they're told, don't even get near the mountain, don't touch it because you'll die. Why? Because God's glory was on that place, and they, they couldn't be in the midst of that. There's something happens here that God's glory is around these shepherds, and I think it, it elicits some, some trembling and, and uh, maybe a, a bit of healthy fear. Um, it's hard to describe what glory is, but I, I think what God's glory is, the best way to describe it, it means to experience the weight of his presence. When, when God shows his glory in the Old Testament, he declares his name and his character. Remember, Moses hides him in a rock, 
and God passes before him, and God declares his name and what he's like, and, and Moses worships. And the expression of it's God's full measure, the, the, the manifestation of his character. And it's, there's, a, there's a weight to it. You can just feel the presence of God in it. That's this idea of glory. And the, the, it, it would have been this indescribable presence, and it overwhelms in Scripture over and over again. And so the shepherds, who are just hanging out, doing whatever, suddenly what was in the temple back in the Old Testament, what was on the mountain in Sinai, they feel the weight of God's presence is just among them. And I think it brought some fear. Because what happens when you're in God's presence? You die. And they didn't, but that's what's going on here. And the angel's presence is marked by that glory and it would feel overwhelming. The second reason I think they're afraid is because it was an angel. There was an angel standing there. Um, we have these angels by the manger here, um, these nice um, folded hands angels with their nice wings, and we think of that. Um, our Christmas tree has lots of angels on it. They're, they're, they have nice, pretty robes and halos, and it says joy. Like we said, they all say joy on them, and they're carrying a harp, and they're cute, and their cheeks are rosy. Um, and we think of that as being, and we're thinking, why would anybody be afraid of that? I mean, it's like, what are they going to do? Um, I was, definitely did the whole deal with being in the Christmas play each year when I was a kid. I remember one year, all of these shepherd parts got taken, and so I was made an angel. You know, there was like one other boy that was the angel, the rest were girls. And I remember being up there with the white robe, and I had these silk wings, and the halo they made out of tinsel, you know, they wrapped the tinsel. I remember standing up there going, not feeling very mighty and not very um, strong. And we think of that as being these angels, but, but they're not. They're, 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 when their manifestation causes people to be afraid, there's fear, it's marked, not just startling. They're creatures who serve in the presence of the living God who are, are sent out to do his work. We discover that it's angels come, come into the midst of an Assyrian army camp, and 185,000 Assyrians are destroyed by the movement of the angels in their midst. We have uh, Daniel talking about the, the angels who uh, fought against the forces of darkness, demons in the heavenlies, who to battle again. I don't have any idea what these angelic beings look like or what this angel looked like but it caused them to be afraid. I think that they're fierce and mighty, and they do God's work. And when they show up, there's a reason going, are we okay here? That something's going to happen to us. And they tell them to not be afraid. And the angel says, this is why. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. Unto, and then he says what that news is. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. In other words, it's going to be a, they're a poor family and lying in a manger. As a messenger, this angel comes with a message. It's called good news. The word's euangelion. It's, it's um, when uh, the when they're waiting, like a, a king was waiting in their, their city, and they've sent off to battle, and they're waiting to hear something back, the messenger would come back, and they would, they would use that word, good news. They bring good news. They're speaking it and shouting it out, and they're waiting for that good news. And, and here he comes, and he's speaking out this word where we get evangelism from. And it's, he's got good news. It's something to be declared and shouted out. And it's news that calls, he says, for joy. It's, 
It's a news that's filled with joy, and, and better yet, it's news for who? Us, all people. The, the shepherds who are probably the last ones to get any good news, it comes to them first. And they're going, we, we're getting first, first dibs on the good news that, we have, that the scriptures have been talking about for thousands of years waiting for, and that news comes to these people on this hill. And what's the news? Well, it's threefold here. Number one, there's a Savior coming. The word, the word Savior is the one that's going to atone for their sins. These guys are taking care of sheep that will never care for their sins, Hebrews tells us. There's one coming once and for all will take care of the issue of sin in our life. God didn't send a soldier or a politician or a reformer, but he sent a Savior. Luke 147, Mary actually calls God her, her Savior, and so this one who's coming is God with us who came to save. The second part of the news is that he is the Christ. That's just the word for Messiah. The promised one, the deliverer, was coming. So they're on this hill going, the news is our sins are going to get covered once and for all. That's what they're hearing. This is, when they think of Savior, it's this rescue, and it's the one that's been promised all along. It's the Messiah which they have heard of Messiahs coming before, and they never turned out. And now it's being declared from heaven that this is the one. And then the third part of the news is that he is the Lord. It's God himself, this, this title that's actually used of God in the Old Testament. And then they might think, so when is this going to happen? Because this has been promised for a long time. And he says, today, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ Lord. It is happening right now and on the spot. Verse 13, the minute he gets the news out, it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's as though um, the angels for all these thousands of years have been waiting for this to happen. Heaven's been talking about it. The scriptures have been pointing to it. They've been wondering about it. And finally, this one angel comes, and he declares the news. And it's like the, this heavenly host, whatever it was all made up of, it's like they're hiding behind a veil. And suddenly, when the news goes out, they can't help it any longer. And this veil opens up. And suddenly, well, I don't know if they're on the ground or um, in the heavens, whatever it is, it just opens up, and they begin to sing out this song. Usually an angel arrives and gives a message and then it's gone, right? This time the angel arrives and gives a message and then he brings a whole bunch of friends. And they're all going to start singing. And this, 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 this host, the word for host or multitude is a, the word used for these large armies. So it wasn't six angels up there, you know, each having their part. It was this huge multitude. They couldn't count them. And these fierce... Uh, people from the heavens suddenly turn into this choir and they begin to declare the truth and begin to respond in worship. Scriptures tell us that on earth as it is in heaven, and the praises of heaven that have been going on suddenly break in on this, this place where not all is well and declaring the truth of God and that he's bringing peace. Interesting, um, in the book of Job, um, you know, towards the end, after 
all these arguments have gone on, and then God speaks to Job. Remember that section? And God starts talking to Job about all the things he doesn't know. Because um, Job thinks he knows something, and God says, where were you when I did this, when I did this, when I did this? In chapter 38, verse 7, he, God says to him, talking about creation, he says, where were you when the angels sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Interesting, when God creates, we get another, there's another place where the angels were singing. And when they saw the display of God um, demonstrating his character in the creation of the world and people, there was singing from heaven. And again, it happens here. When Paul is in prison, what does he do? He sings. It's amazing. Paul sings. The early church sang. You get to, through the book of Revelation, you discover up in the heavens over and over again. What are they doing? They're singing. Here in this night of silence, there's singing. And here in the midst of waiting, there's joy. And their song is twofold. It's got two parts. Glory to God, peace on earth. Real simple. I love simple songs, don't you? You can pick them up very quickly, remember them. And um, we, we didn't do all God, rest ye merry gentlemen. There's like seven verses for that song. You know, it goes like forever. Um, this one's simple and short. Glory to God and peace on earth. Ultimately, everything is supposed to pour into the weight of God's glory in his presence to demonstrate it, magnifying him and all that he is. Can you go to Ephesians chapter 1? Our own salvation is supposed to be about God's glory. It demonstrates something about him. And then he says, the second half of the song is that there will be peace on earth. It's a declaration of peace. Actually, at that very time, uh, Caesar had declared a, a period of peace called the Pax Romana, and although on the surface there was no warring going on, and it looked on the surface, we all know inside ourselves and our relationships with each other is often a great lack of peace. There were conquered, oppressed people. There, were, there was inner turmoil. There's separation from God. Um, and there wasn't peace, no matter how it might have looked on the surface. And in our world today, you don't even have to look inside. It's, there's no peace inside, but there's no peace in our world either. Very little of it. When sin entered the world, peace left. And so we need the Prince of Peace. And last week we saw that the greatest need is not for the external things, our circumstances that are difficult, the, the things we see in the world, the things we see in our own life that are happening out here, which as hard as they might be, that is not our biggest issue. The biggest issue for people is what's here, the, what, what, the, the, what sin has done inside. And God wants to address that need. Luke 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. What do they say? Glory to God and peace in heaven. They declare the same stuff over and over again. In the past 2,000 plus years, there have been over 900 wars, over 1,600 revolutions. That means at least one year for generation after generation after generation. It goes on. It still goes on today. Peace on earth, actually, in some ways, did not come. But that's because Jesus came first to end a war that started way, way long time ago. And it started in the garden when the, when the enemy came and sin entered the world. And there have been more people impacted by that than any number of wars we want to say. The whole world is impacted by it. And so when they declare peace on earth, the very first thing Jesus came to do was to deal with what, where we really need it. 
peace here. I need peace with God. I need that corrected. And then begin to have peace with one another. And there is still a day coming as we, as his people, demonstrate peace of God in the world. There is still that day that we're waiting for when peace in the world comes to its full fruition. In the midst of life, hard and dreary and oppressed, these shepherds got to see everything from a different perspective. Suddenly, they weren't alone. Um, The world was not absent of God. They saw heaven come, and he touched earth. And I think that at their very core, no matter what went on, they knew that all would be well. There was something else going on that they had not seen before, and it opened their eyes. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They got it, didn't they? And I love that. They know that God had actually shown them something. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They knew they had a message from God himself, and there was an immediate response to it. They took the angel's work, and they continued it. And they did it really easily. They went to see. It doesn't say they went to see if it really happened or not. It says they went to see what had happened. They knew it had, and then they told about it. One of the great responses to God's revelation is that we speak it to somebody else. And they immediately went to tell somebody else about it. Verse 18 they come and they share it all, and all who heard it wondered or were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Three responses here to Revelation. When God shows himself, when he speaks truth, there's Besides going and telling somebody about it, there's three responses that are shown up here. The first one is what? It says they wondered or were amazed. People are amazed. Over and over again, as we've gone through Matthew, we've discovered when God did miracles, what it says, that people were amazed. Or when Jesus taught, they were amazed at his teaching. But it's interesting, people were often amazed, but it didn't turn into belief. They, they it caught their attention, and, and, but somehow, for many of them, it just dissipated eventually. But amazement is that one response, but does not always translate into belief or change. And so Mary here, who was probably also amazed, because, wow, I can't believe it. All that's happening here, and and actually God has sent um, the best birth announcement in the world um, to these shepherds and declared it, and here they are. She goes on, her second response is pondering. She, She took the amazement And the truth she had heard, and she took it inside and let it sit there for a while. Just let it sit. And as it sat, it began to sink in. And over the course of her life, she let more and more sink in. And the pondering turns into belief. As we we see God at work, and we embrace it, and we hang on to it. And then lastly, it says that the third response here was praise. The, The overflow of a life that's changed whether it's in our words, in our actions, our attitudes, the way we work in the world, we we demonstrate praise. It says that these shepherds go back glorifying and praising God. We have no idea if these had even been faithful, God-fearing shepherds or not, or if they were just totally secular. We have no idea 
where they were coming. But they were changed people when they went back. And, and by the way, they're going back to the same old stuff as, as usual. Just like all of us do, we still go back out these doors into our week, and it, it, much of it remains unchanged. But they went back changed. Something was different as they headed back out. So as we consider the passage, a um, couple things. The shepherds, um, they experienced the angels. The, the sky was opened and they saw it. And they were lowly and outcast, poor. Their life was hard. Their circumstances, they would have changed them if they could. But for a brief moment, they saw the entire world and their own lives from a different perspective. Just for a minute, God drew them out of that place and says, things are not what you think they are. And there's more to this world than what you think there is. There's more, they saw that there's more to the world than my difficulties and my circumstances, no matter how hard they are. And that there is a God at work even when they don't see him at work, but he was. And there is glory and there's an advancing kingdom. And they saw they were, they were, they'd just been made a part of it. And so even though they went back to the same thing, they could never see life, I don't think, the same way again. It's like we said those songs that stick in your head. There's not a chance in the world any of these guys ever forgot that song. Um, or those, I think they probably looked at each other, you saw it, right? Yeah, we saw it. We saw that. And, it, and it, it, as that was infused in their hearts, I believe we have, nothing, we have no idea what happens to these, these guys. But I don't think their life was ever the same again. They may have been doing the same things, but they were not the same, and their impact in their lives were not the same. They had met the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, God with us, the centerpiece of everything they experienced and was looking for. And then they went back to their life, never the same. As I said, all was the same, but nothing was the same, if we know what we mean by that. And I think all shall be well would have been on their lips because no matter what was going on, they knew something else was also going on all the time. The song and the sing of the angels was lodged in their hearts and minds, and it changed them. This morning, um, I don't. We're all in different places, right? Sherry, it's good to see you here this morning. Um, we are all in different places, whether it's in our own life here, within our heart, in our relationships, whether we're looking out beyond us at the world and what goes on, and it's creating all these things. Um, God wants us to be able to look at all these things through his eyes. When we look at through our own eyes, it just creates all sorts of stuff for us. And we get anxious and worried and, and despairing and overwhelmed. We wonder where God is. And we need to see through the eyes of God, as these shepherds saw. So I encourage you just to close your eyes for a minute. Um, perhaps there's a particular thing that you just need to see it through God's eyes this morning. Um, perhaps you want to just think through my week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I know it's coming. Um, what does it look like to enter that week seeing it from God's perspective, that God is at work? And just walk through that for a minute. Whatever that is on your heart, I encourage you to, to turn it over to the Lord. And perhaps it's, you, just can't get, you just can't get there. That's okay, too. Just tell God that. Ask him to give, him, give you your, his heart and his eyes to see the world his way.
song says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to you with whom he is pleased. Val, if you could bring the music team up as we continue to wait on the Lord. The book of Micah, chapter 5, speaking about the Lord and us, it says this, He, talking about the coming of Christ, shall stand, and he will shepherd his flock, that's us, in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, again, that's us, shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be there our peace. Jesus is the good shepherd, the the chief shepherd, and he's also the sacrificial lamb. He's both. He laid aside his demand for glory. He let peace in his body be shattered. And he has won peace for us and lives that are restored for giving him glory and carrying his peace into the world. Scriptures say, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, which includes us, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you're, I'm going to pray over the communion elements this morning, but if you're visiting this morning, um, there's a table here and on the side in the back. We do this every week. Um, the centerpiece of our time is to be realigned to Christ by remembering the work he did for us. So all week, as our hearts go all different ways, we come back again and again, and we get around this table and remember what he did for us. His, the bread signifying his body, which was, which was hung on the cross for us, and the cup signifying his blood that was shed for us, that we experience freedom and peace and life. Uh, we just, if you know the Lord, you're welcome to come to the table. We just break the bread off, and we dip it in the cup. And as we do so, we give thanks. Pray with me. Lord, for those of us that know you, we may not have seen angels singing in heaven, but most of us can remember when that time when you entered into our lives and nothing was ever the same again. Realign us to that moment and that place again as we gather. We thank you that the great message is God with us. Give us eyes to see like you see. And as we gather around the table, we want to give thanks that you laid aside all those things and became poor for us. Gave your life as the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we honor you and we exalt you and we give you thanks as we take. In Jesus' name, amen. benediction just as we are invited by God to gather so also we don't leave but that God actually sends us and he goes with us as we take the kingdom of God residing within our hearts into all the places we go so go out sent as those who are called beloved in God the father and kept for Jesus Christ 
May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Amen.